right. Well, hello, everybody. Ben Cassidy with Safari Club International. Welcome back to the First for Hunters podcast. So glad you could be with me today and with our special guest, Dr. Chris Comer, our Director of Conservation at Safari Club International Foundation. It's so good to have you with us today, sir. Yeah, it's great to be here. Great to be here. One of the, the first uh, inaugural podcasts for the First for Hunters. So uh, it, yeah, I just look forward to talking about kind of the, the conservation work that we have going on with the foundation. And there's a lot of work going on right now across a lot of different places. So really excited to get into that. Just wanted to go over a little bit of housekeeping first, though. Uh, just talk about some of the stuff going on uh, in the advocacy world. You know, we are right up on election day it's coming we hit on it you know in our last podcast hunters you got to get out there you got to vote your vote your voice makes a difference and it's never been more important than it is this election we say that every time but we really mean it this time um just looking around the country right now you know if you're in oregon this uh this 114 initiative um it's on the ballot Right now, we've seen polling out today where it's all within the margin of error, meaning it's a jump ball. It can go either way. It's another great example of hunters needing to be there, needing to vote to make sure that this ballot initiative is killed. As you remember, 114, uh, it creates arduous permitting processes that really just go after uh, law-abiding gun owners, don't go after the root of the problem. And at the end of the day, by doing that and creating barriers to access, it really has a detrimental effect on conservation. So if you're in Oregon, you have family members in Oregon, you have friends in Oregon, you know an outfitter in Oregon, get them out there, make sure that they vote if they haven't already. I know early voting's well underway. Um, in, a, in another one, you know, let, let, let's be on offense. You know, Iowa, on the, on the ballot, they have the right to bear arms, um, constitutional right to bear arms. That will codify the Second Amendment for the state, one of the few remaining states that don't have it codified in their state constitution. If you're in Iowa, know someone in Iowa, family in Iowa, and outfitter in Iowa, make sure that they vote. Make sure they get out there and support it. Uh, be remiss to not mention, we just came out with our quarter one report. We got a little bit of a different fiscal year here at Safari Club International, but we've wrapped up our first quarter of the year of our fiscal year. We have a really good report out there. If you haven't seen it yet, take the time to read it. It's on the website, safariclub.org, our Q1 report, lets you know all the big fights that we've been involved in. Um, coming up, 111 days to go, convention, Nashville, with big news out this week. Leonard Skinner is going to be performing Saturday night. I cannot tell you how excited I am. You could tell last time I was excited about Lee Bryce, but Leonard Skinner has me pumped up. I don't have to mention Freebird or, you know, call me the breeze or give me however many steps. I love it all. They're great. They're terrific. And they're going to bring the fire. Anyone's ever seen them live? Have you seen them live? I have not seen them live. Well, I will soon see them live yeah. in February, right? But, oh my gosh! No, uh, I'm. I was excited. Honestly, I didn't know that was coming, uh, and I'm. I was amazed. That's, one that's of, something to look forward to. One of many surprises to come. But uh, <laughs> I've seen them live once, and I'm surprised. You know, Freebird's still not playing. I think they went on with it for 25 minutes. 18 different <laughs> right. guitar solos. I counted. It was incredible. Melted the room down. So cannot wait for that. If you haven't registered yet, get on it. I said 111 days. It's going to come in the blink of an eye. Uh, so start booking now. Rooms are filling up. Good luck. Uh, so yeah, that's those are the big items going on now. Again, election just around the corner. When I don't know when you're hearing this, it might have already happened. Um, so look forward to sharing more on that front. But let's let's pivot over. Let's talk with Dr. Comer now. 
and get into hearing a little bit more about what's going on at the foundation. I know, I know you've you've been a regular guest in the past on on our past podcasts. Um, it's awesome to actually have a wildlife biologist, a doctor here in Washington D.C., a building that you know the Capitol doesn't normally have. Uh, a scientist on hand uh, to, to, to hear from and direct good policy decisions. But, you know, it's really good to, to be joined by you right now. So why don't you just give yourself a little bit of an introduction? You know, you've, you've been with, uh, with the company for a while. Kind of just fill us in on, you know, when, when you started up, where you've been. And sure. um, I'd love to hear a little. I've got some other questions. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, Ben, I'm the director of conservation uh, for SCI Foundation. I, bet I started in the summer of 2018. Uh Come from a kind of a different background. I actually was in the uh, in academia for quite a long time, for almost 15 years. I taught wildlife management, <clears throat> wildlife ecology at a, a regional university, Stephen F. Austin State University in Texas. So uh, I was uh, out there doing research and teaching students and all that stuff. And it's exciting to be with, with SCIF. We have a lot of great projects going on all over the world. Really has expanded my horizons as far as wildlife management goes, and and getting aware of some of these issues that you just talked about. That maybe as an in academia you're not aware of all these important policy issues that are out there and how important they are for for the future of wildlife, for people's livelihoods, for all kinds of things. And it's been really great to be sort of involved on the front lines of some of this research and some of this uh, wildlife management, uh, not just in Africa, but but in North America and and uh, Central Asia and all kinds of parts of the world. So it, it's it's a great program we have here, and I'm excited to be a part of it. It's awesome. It plays such a unique role, too. I mean, where, where else has that sort of vast landscape where you're able to have a positive impact, right? For sure. I mean – I think like the last time we were really having a full on conversation, we were in Maputo, Mozambique, Correct. right? Yeah. At your at your annual AWCF. You know, we touched on it in a in a past podcast, but would love to hear, you know, more from you and what you saw out of that AWCF and what else was going on in Africa, you know? Yeah, so of course, you know, African Wildlife Consultative Forum, that's a we were celebrating our 20th uh, this year, which is a great accomplishment. Obviously, the, a lot of people uh, that got that started before I was with the foundation. But it's really our flagship event over there. We get various government entities. We get uh, professional hunting associations. We get now really a strong presence from community uh, networks, the community leaders network in particular. You know, really get all these folks together that are concerned with sustainable use in Africa and get them talking about all the issues that they're facing. And as you talk about every day – there's all kinds of important issues uh, with with hunting over there and conservation. So, so we were there. I think the meeting was a, a huge success. Lots of good outcomes from that, particularly with the upcoming uh, um, CITES conference of the parties in Panama, which both of us will be there as well, to kind of fight for some of these things. Right? You know, this is an international fight to to keep sustainable use and keep wildlife trade as an important component of conservation and of people's livelihoods all over the world. So, yeah, you know, AWCF is a great thing we do, but you said it's not the only thing we had going in Africa. Shortly after I left you in Maputo, uh, I went to Botswana where the, the foundation is initiating a nationwide survey for leopard populations. You know, African leopards, CITES again, there, there is a CITES quota on imports of, of leopards. They are listed on Appendix 1 of CITES. Uh, and so one of the things that came out of the process of reviewing quotas for leopards is that, that we could use better data on leopard populations. They're a real challenge. They're quite a, um, a cryptic species, hard to observe, mm-hmm. hard to do surveys for. And so SCI Foundation saw it as a place that we could help out the International Conservation of Leopards to get better better information about leopard populations. So we actually kicked that project off. You know, it was kind of an exciting time for me. Like, we're doing 20th anniversary at WCF, and then you go to Botswana, and we're kicking off our big leopard Lots project. of action over there. Yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it was really exciting. We, um, we put out 
104 remote triggered cameras on a, on a hunting concession in uh, central Botswana. Uh, encountered some challenges. One thing I didn't realize is elephants. They have a lot of elephants in Botswana. And uh, elephants, apparently if they see anything in their sort of landscape that's unfamiliar to them, they want to investigate that, which usually means destroy it. Bash it. it. So, <laughs> right, so, so we, we try to figure out how we keep the elephants from sort of crushing our cameras, which was... What do you do? We, we basically, well, we have like a steel cover on them, which we thought would do it, but they didn't, that uh, didn't seem to matter to them. They steel just, doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. So what we ended up doing was kind of trying to conceal them. So we put them next to a tree and kind of put some sticks and stuff on them so they don't sort of stand out in the landscape. We'll see. We're going back in about a month. Okay. Well, so mid-December to pick those up and see what we have on camera. It's really cool term, cryptic species, yeah, right? Yeah. The leopard. So did you see any of the cryptic species? Did you capture any of we them? Did, the- so we, of course, we're not supposed, we're leaving them out there for eight weeks. To, to capture the full um, survey, but we did check some of them before we left, and we did have two two leopards on camera before we left. Awesome, which was super exciting. Yeah, that's amazing. That. Um, so, how long do you gather data for? So, eight week eight week survey. Okay, uh, and then we'll move to another location. So, the idea is over the next three years, we'll cover uh, all different kinds of land uses and and ecotypes within Botswana. So, then at the end of that, we can have a fairly good idea what the sort of nationwide population is it's awesome which is something that hasn't really been done before and there's been a lot of leopard work done all over africa but nothing sort of at the scale and with a sort of the focus that we're doing with this project so so, so at the end of the day you know h- how does the survey benefit hunters and ultimately conservation right yeah so in sort of the short term we want to keep sustainable use as a part of leopard conservation which it should be uh so and we want to make sure we're doing doing it sustainably we don't want to be hunting leopards in areas where there aren't enough right so we get better information that helps those governments to make better decisions about their leopard management. And one of the interesting things about leopards, leopard conservation is important, but leopards are a key component of conserving big landscapes in Africa because it's a pretty um, economically beneficial species, as in it's a relatively high cost. And so the idea that we can harvest a small number of leopards allows a lot of these hunting concessions to remain economically viable, including community-based ones, private concessions, game farms, all those. By being able to, to harvest a small number of leopards, that brings in enough money that they can maintain these areas as wildlife areas and not as you know grazing or agriculture or something else. So, so leopards... Uh, hunting sort of has implications beyond just that single species, which is one of the reasons that it was an important one for us to get involved with. And who's our partner in the program? So we're partnering with the Botswana Department of Wildlife and National Parks. So that's the the relevant agency there in Botswana. We're also partnering with local people there. So, so for instance, Rand Safaris was the group that was um, hosting us at Mm -hmm. the the place we were doing the work. We're planning to, to partner with a bunch of different uh, groups there. And then our research partner is the Cesar Clayburg Wildlife Research Institute. Make sure I say that right. At Texas A&M University, Kingsville. And so they have a a, a longstanding cat research program uh, at the Clayburg Institute. And we were able to get on with them and, and they are scientists over there with us doing the work. So it's a big group together. Tremendous Mm -hmm. collaboration. Exactly. continents this is exactly and so for me this is exactly the kind of work that we like to do in the foundation these big sort of collaborative projects that are addressing real problems yeah absolutely way to make uh, the best of your time while over in africa <laughs> right. right i mean not an easy place to get to and from i don't know Correct. if you've adjusted back yet i think this week i'm finally sort of back <laughs> on a normal schedule close to normal yeah, again. There. i mean almost that'll make there. you feel real old real quick just <laughs> Do a flight home from Africa after I, – I, I did a week over there, and I know you had a little bit longer. Um, so are there other projects that you guys are involved in that are easier to get to? Is there anything going on in the United States? Let's, there let's there, there are. There are. We actually – so if you look historically, 
you know, people, of course, associate SCI Foundation with work in Africa. But sure. but about 60%, give or take, over the last 20 years of our um, conservation support and conservation work has been in North America. Oh, wow. And, and you know, because that's the core members of SCI, as you know well, they're deer hunters and turkey hunters. And, you know, they're they're hunting their local areas here in the United States and Canada. Yep. And so that's important to us. Um, we've, we've been involved with a lot of things. Right now, we've got a, a few primary foci. A big one we're involved with right now is is bear management, and particularly we're seeing um, there's a need for conflict mitigation. Particularly, you talk about uh, grizzly bears in the Greater Yellowstone ecosystem. They, uh, as the bear population expands, which is great. I mean, it's great that that population is growing and it's doing well. Um, but they get into conflict with ranchers and people and hikers and hunters. There's been several examples just this this fall of bear attacks on on hunters, right? And Across the whole continental U.S., right? It's incredible. It's awful. And it's not bad just for – I mean, it's obviously bad for the people involved. We want people to enjoy the outdoor recreation without having to worry. But it's also bad for bears. I mean, if – if bears cause problems, then those bears end up being euthanized or somehow you know, moved or something. And that's not, not a good out- outcome either. So we want to help to do that. So we've got a, uh, our bear program manager, Maria Davidson, is based in Wyoming, right in the center of that. a lot of those issues. She's been really actively involved with helping to put bear boxes on national forests so that people can put their food or outfitters can put their food in these boxes so that bears don't get into it. Uh, doing bear spray giveaways in important areas. Just all kinds of ways to help manage these bears in a way that, you know, that's going to build the future of bears uh, in that region so they can continue to persist. So for all the projects going on around bears, you've got Maria working specifically right. on that. Yep. And that's her background. She's just large carnivore expert. Right. She's large carnivore. In fact, was involved with uh, Louisiana black bear issues uh, in Louisiana. As you know, that's a was a listed species recently delisted. So she's been right at the forefront of these bear conflict management stuff for, for years and years. That's awesome. Never been more topical. We talked about it in the last podcast, too, just looking at the, the Northeast and just that overpopulation and, you know, New Jersey and what Connecticut's seeing now. A lot of that conflict, too, is just like the, it's not people going into bear habitat or what you would consider it. It's bears coming into what we call yeah. human habitat, right? I, I, it's interesting. Over the last 20 years, I think we've redefined what bear habitat is. Right. There's super uh, adaptable sort of opportunistic critters, and which is which is great. I mean, I, and bears are amazing. Yeah, um, absolutely. But that does make, mean that they can live in places we never thought they would. I mean, who would think that New Jersey would have one of the densest black bear populations in the country? In the, yeah, right? completely. It's crazy. Um, so, yeah, so bears are a real challenge. And then the other thing we're involved with is chronic wasting disease. I'm sure everybody who's listening has heard of chronic wasting disease. And um, it's an area where it's a little challenging to find a, a, a spot. You know, there's a lot of groups involved with yep. CWD. We've sort of, uh, I think we're building toward helping agencies and other folks that are dealing with on the ground CWD. How do we do that more effectively? Because it's a huge cost for a lot of these agencies. They're doing sampling and they're testing and, and trying to determine where it is and detect it if it's not there yet. And it's, it's all very, um, yeah, it's a big burden on these agencies to do that. And so we want to help them to make better, more informed decisions about that based on science. That's so tremendous. That's, we're actually, we're just, uh, just was, was talking with our research partners uh, there at Emory University about the CWD program and, and how we're developing. The, it's, I mean, it goes a little bit beyond my experience, but it's like it's, a, it's called an agent-based model. So it's a computer model. Models the, the population, how fast it spreads. And you can then change the way you manage it. So let's say you change your harvest practice. You can then run a, a scenario in that model and see, well, how's that going to affect CWD spread in my state? It's pretty, pretty interesting stuff. Very interesting. That's great. So, I mean, a lot going on in the United States. 
Oh yeah, um, a lot more than than I think most of our listeners realize. And of course, as you know, all and you know, I, I work for the National Foundation. Yep. But all of our chapters all over the U.S. and Canada, and and even in Europe, are involved with uh, conservation projects in their local area. What's going on in Europe? Well, so one, the one that we're involved with yeah. is a is a roe deer translocation project in Portugal. Cool. Um, which is pretty exciting. I mean, any time you do translocations, that's kind of exciting. Why? It's because you're, you're moving animals around, right? You yeah. Take, I mean, I, I... How are you moving them? Like, you strangle them and like, carry <laughs> right. them? No? Yeah, right out, yeah. <laughs> Headlock? <laughs> they, uh, I think they capture them in, uh, in like, a uh, box trap. I'm not sure what, uh-huh. what they do with the roe deer there. Um you know, you can capture them. You can do all kinds of stuff to, to capture them. Move them. They have a they have like an acclimation pen, so they'll put them in this new area, let them hang out there, get used to the area for like six months, and then let them go. And we're going to monitor their success. Do they survive? Are they staying within the area? That kind of stuff. Cool. Yeah. And that's a, that's sort of a new thing for us, you know, is to get involved directly with conservation projects in Europe. So that's that's exciting. Yeah, well. really strong, growing membership over in Europe. And that's a partnership where I know that the SEI is also helping with that yep. conservation project, which is fantastic. Yeah, love it. Um, just doing great things over there. How about Canada? Tell me we, more on that front. We so the most recent thing with Canada is with our bear program. Okay. We've we've done a, we've done a, a ton of projects, a lot of them with bears in Canada, and and elk and predators and all kinds of stuff. But the big one we're involved with now is through our bear program. We're helping um, with a grizzly bear survey in the Yukon Territory. Uh, we were, I was just up there in August. Which is a, an amazing landscape. I don't know if you've ever been to the Yukon. No, I, I hadn't either. I didn't realize the Tell scale of that. I mean, it's it's just it's just a vast area, and and there's like four roads in the entire territory, right? And so, it's we got up in the air and and you know toured some of these sites. So so they're doing a the government actually is doing a, a hair snare survey. You put out these these wooden hair snares. You put a lure in the middle, and the bear comes along and looks at it, investigates it. They'll leave hair behind. You can then genetically identify individuals from that. But but the challenge there is there's no roads, so basically they're delivering these things from helicopters. So they wow. they take a helicopter out with like a crew of three, get on the ground, um, build this thing, take off, come back in three weeks or a month, and check to see how many hairs have been left behind. It's it's a, a wild project. Just just the the logistics of dealing with that is is crazy. Wow. Um, but we got to go up and big see big landscapes, that. big problems. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you know, and and the Yukon is one of only really two places where you can can hunt grizzlies right now alaska and the yukon yep and so we again we're all about having scientific data to support decisions so we want to make sure we're harvesting bears sustainably and that that the stakeholders and there's a lot of first nations involvement the government of yukon and then the outfitters association all involved in that project um just make sure that, that we're harvesting bears in a way that's sustainable and can can benefit the people of the yukon so that, that was another exciting one that's really cool yeah, i mean the work that y'all doing is is really you know where the rubber meets the road for conservation. That's like uh, we try to do it's anyway. Yeah, so for cool. Sure. Uh, it's all, I really appreciate you you being on today. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately for you, you're kind of on the hook now to come on and keep updating us on these because I just want to hear how they're all going. Um, so there's an open door policy. The door is open right now. So you can <laughs> it's literally anytime open. you want to be on here, man. We want. I know that that our folks want to hear more and be updated more on it. Um, I think our listeners will notice, or our watchers will notice, we got this colored hat here. I know you're extremely well educated. I don't know what school you didn't go to and get a degree from, but I think the one that you're most proud of has similar colors to these. Certainly, the most recent one is a 
are red and black. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's a good it's a good week to be uh, to be an alum of the University of Georgia yeah. for sure. I hope. I guess we'll see how it goes again. It has been. A, it's been a couple of good years. Yes. Yes, yeah. it has. For Love sure. it. Well, thank you so much for being on. Yeah, man, my pleasure. Really appreciate everyone who's taken time to listen to another edition of the First for Hunters podcast. We look forward to coming back to you. Um, you know, download us. Give us some likes. Give us some comments. Let us know what else you want to hear. Uh, yeah, download us and put in your earbuds and listen to us in the blind. Hope you guys are out there in the field right now and gals. And we'll be talking to you soon. See you in the field. Thanks. Thanks.